You're listening to audio from Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you'd like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. Today is uh, season one, episode three of Long Story Short. Uh, And uh, we're gonna make it, we've made it to chapter 12 of Genesis, right? See, yeah, see? Um, No, so we're we're gonna be in chapter 12 today, but uh, like I said towards the beginning, this series is taking its time in the book of Genesis because it it, um, sets up everything else. So all of the Bible we find um, is rooted and found, there's that foundational elements that we've got to understand at the beginning uh, before we're gonna fly through some of the Old Testament and minor prophets and stuff when we get to it just for sake of time. But, but hopefully you've been enjoying this series. If you're with us for the first time, maybe today or, or maybe you um, have been away or traveling, um, the long story short, the series are online, you can follow them. It, it is one of those series that it probably will help uh, to kind of go back and listen to the ones you miss. So if you're traveling this summer, we don't judge you or anything, you're allowed to go on vacation, all right, it's okay, but, but when you're away, hopefully you can catch it and stay up because I, I really feel like this series will help you stay on the same page with one another as you're away, you can kind of follow along, you can listen to the podcast or see it online and stuff and that will help kind of for all of us to stay on the same page. Um, today I am gonna kind of review a little bit of the stuff before we jump in. We'll be looking at Genesis 12 through 22 today. This is episode three on Abraham. We're gonna be looking at Abraham today. And so let me uh, begin uh, by reading God's word. We're gonna look at Genesis 12, one, and we're gonna look at the first couple of verses of Genesis 12. And then we're gonna be hopping from chapter to chapter. We're gonna be flying through some material today. And I really hope you guys are ready, all right? Uh, Ready to to stay with me. And uh, as I try to explain some big ideas today. And uh, hopefully that that helps you guys get on the same page with some of these big ideas that Abraham, or really Abram, is setting up for us today. So in Genesis 12, last week we ended with the Tower of Babel. So Genesis 12, one says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse three of Genesis 12 says, I will bless those who bless you. That's gonna be key here today, so remember that one. And, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, and he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land at, to the place called, at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, to your offspring I will give this land. He built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. And this will be key, we'll look at this later. East of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai, 
on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let us uh, pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the reading of your word, the importance of God's word. Lord, it's sometimes we are so, we feel, at least maybe it's just me. God, I feel sometimes very far removed uh, from these passages, from a person like Abram who lived so long ago, uh, his culture so foreign to mine, and yet your word calls me a son of Abraham. And Lord, we are together, a family, a family that, that finds unity and togetherness under the faith of Abraham. We are adopted into this family, grafted in God. We, we celebrate the same God today that Abraham worshiped there. <laughs> and it is a divine grand story. And God, thank you for helping us to understand. Thank you for revealing these truths to us from your word. God, I pray that you would you would work through the reading of your word today, you would work through the preaching of it as it already has happened, the singing of your word and the truths that we acknowledge and sing out. And God, I ask today in specific blessing upon this church and these fathers that are present, Lord, thank you for their leadership and the importance of a father figure in a home and those who do not have fathers, God, I pray that you would provide a father figure for them and that, Lord, ultimately we would look to you as the father as your word says that if my father and mother neglect me, Lord, the Lord will take me in. And so, Lord, help us to look to you as our ultimate father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we recap briefly, just thinking about in our Bibles, like I said, if you have, you can look with us in Genesis 12, we'll be looking through. I find it helpful at times to have a Bible in front of me, even as I preach, you'll, you can kind of flip back and forth and be like, oh yeah, that's, that happens in chapter eight, chapter nine, here and there, and, and you can kind of go back and forth as we're, as we're going through this. But we, we started with the two first episodes here. Genesis uh, chapter one and Genesis three is really the two major passages we looked at where at the beginning, uh, the spirit is hovering over the waters and God brings and speaks into existence his creation. There is a state of nothing but God and then God speaks the world into existence. The Trinity is there present at the beginning we see the spirit and then from Colossians we see that the Jesus, the Christ, was there even from the beginning. God breathes life into humanity. He then presents humanity with the choice of this uh, garden as he has created them. He, he has this choice of two trees. He endows humanity with dominion, to rule with dominion, to be fruitful and multiply. He appoints them to work the ground and to keep the garden rule over his creation as his ambassadors of his established kingdom with God as king in perfect harmony, as Brian said earlier, in perfect relationship. Adam and Eve chose to seize the kingdom for themselves, the rule and reign, to define what they wanted to define for themselves and selfishly desired to be a God themselves. It is in that open rebellion, that fall out of God's design and plan where God curses the ground and mankind and yet we find the first sign, if you would, of God's grace that he does not immediately destroy the rebels but provides a plan, a rescue plan. It is by his grace that he provides a plan 
to reconcile mankind back to himself into perfect harmony and relationship and peace once again one day. And so as we're reading, if we are reading it for the first time, we're, we're looking for the clues as to how God is going to do this. How will God redeem mankind, reconcile mankind? How will he bring back relationship? How will he bring the heaven and earth back together to coexist, you would, in peaceful harmony? How is it that God is going to do this? And the first clue we get is in the beginning of Genesis upon this time when God provides a temporary covering of the shame of Adam and Eve by slaying an animal and making clothes for them. He covers their newfound awareness of their nakedness and guilt before a holy God and and it is in this that he hints to the eventual atoning sacrifice that will need to be made and yet that animal sacrifice that happens all through the Old Testament, blood is shed at the immediate recognition of sin and the occurrence of sin. And then he provides us with a plan in Genesis 3.15, this seed, this offspring that is going to come. We're always looking, following descendants. Family lines are so important in the Bible. And we see the seed and offspring. One from that woman's seed will come a person who will crush the head of the snake. Who will that be? We're supposed to ask as we read. There will be the snake's descendants, the descendants and offspring of the snake and the offspring of the woman and these will be at enmity and have hostility between the two. So it is in those that we're left with questions and we turn the page and it's Cain and Abel and potentially it's Abel the one who is going to crush the head of the snake but we find that Cain puts an end to this and instead of crushing the head of the snake, Cain literally crushes the head of his brother. And we see the blood of Abel spilled and speak out from the ground. And in Hebrews, we find from last week that we looked at that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We talked about that last week. And then we see as we kind of go into that where we run into the flood and Noah and, and, and then the Tower of Babel and these storylines that we see a, a narrative come to mind. We have three beginnings in the book of Genesis that help us to think about The first beginning is in creation. The second beginning is from Noah, this kind of refreshing and restarting as as sin has been judged. God displays to us the effects and grotesque widespread infection rate of sin. It overcomes the world and God destroys and wipes that out and yet provides Noah and the ark. One that he separates from the lot, from the rest, and, and he highlights this amazing separation motif. One for judgment, one for blessing that he is going to work out in the book of Genesis and really the entire story of the world. And so as God chooses to bless and save the world through one, we have Noah. And then from Noah, we, we wonder, is Noah the one? But Noah fails to keep all aspects of perfection, if you would, or fails to fulfill this role. And and Shem, his son, takes on this role of blessing from God and passes down the promise, blessing from God. And then Shem, from Shem, we get a man named Abram. And Abram, we find about, he is the third beginning that we find in the book of Genesis. And really, it is from this third beginning, from Abram, that we literally have the rest of the Bible and where we are today. Those first beginning and second beginning and third beginning with Abram, the entire story follows suit. And so we're left last week kind of in Genesis 11 with a, 
almost uh, a frightening scene of the Tower of Babel where in like manner mankind seeking to build their own kingdom to make a name for themselves, a tower to the heavens to proclaim the greatness of humanity and God judges these people and tells them to go and scatter, to be fruitful and multiply across the earth and he scatters their language is where we get Babel babbling people, this Babel, which is eventually the location of Babylon, in which we'll see it in, come into play later on. And so it is in this scattering, it is in this division, is this separating, there's a scattering across the earth as mankind spreads, we then see the vision focus in on one person. There's a story of humanity that is grand and massive, and world globally, and then one person. Genesis, one, I mean, Genesis 12, one, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will bless you. This is a, an incredible focusing, a zooming out of the lens of the world to the zooming in on one man, Abram, a man who is called by God to separate himself from the current nation, the people, and to go in faith where God calls him, and in so doing, God will bless him and form a new nation and give him a land and will create a people, and it is from this nation, family, people group that blessing for the entire world will come. The nation of Israel will deliver Jesus Christ. He doesn't know all of that at this time. He is simply operating in faith and doing what God is telling him to do. And so it's in this story that we try to focus in what it would be like for Abraham in this time and also what it's like for us to then focus and learn from Abram even back then as we can today in our modern century. And so this formation of one nation that will come from Abram and um, I would like to say as we study Abram uh, that I planned it this way with Father's Day as we are looking at Father Abraham. We were at elders meeting and I was telling them and they're like, you would plan everything to a T where on Father's Day you're looking at Father Abraham. So I can't fully credit myself with that but I, I will, hopefully that will stick into your mind today. We're looking at the father of many nations, the father of fathers who would father Abraham It is from him that the nations of the earth will be blessed, and he's an incredible figure. He's one that we find so many parallels from the Old Testament to the New. In Genesis 12, one, he is called to get up. Get up out of your seat and go. Go to a faraway place. Probably even at this time, there are many nations and people traveling, and it is in this specific place, in a specific location, that God is calling Abraham. And in the New Testament, as I'm gonna be doing frequently today, uh, we'll be jumping back and forth, but in Hebrews 11, verse eight, it says, by faith, this is Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, eight, by faith, by trust, by belief, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, there are many sermons just on this very one verse, and so we don't have time today, but yet, they had a beautiful illustration. 
of the placement of God and the, the choice of God and the choice of Abraham to obey, to go. By faith he went and lived in a land of promise, in a foreign land, and it is from him, Jacob, Esau, all of these people, Isaac, where we find, because it was that he was looking for a city that has a foundation whose designer and builder was God. A.W. Pink, a writer, says, in word, Abram illustrates the heavenly calling of those who are the members of the body of Christ. It is at Abraham and his calling we find ourselves a starting point for the life of faith. The first requirement so often in this life is a separation to leave. It is that same call of John the Baptist and Jesus to repent and turn from your sin, to leave 180 directions, to leave and follow, to forsake and follow, to leave and go. It is in this reminder that we find even understanding for us today that we're called to do that so often, many times a day, very often to forsake and follow, to see the wrong and the wickedness and where we are not to go and to do and go what God has called us to do. And it is in that, that archetype, that motif, that we find that there is great blessing in pursuing God. There is great reward in choosing God in that he has in going to pour out on Abraham this amazing blessing, unlike any other, this great nation. He promises him in this passage and then over and over throughout God's word, he will reiterate this promise that God says I'm going to make a great nation from you. I'm gonna, make your, I'm gonna give you a great land, a place, and I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna give you land, offspring, and a blessing for the world. And he could not have possibly understood what this meant. And in Genesis 15 and later, he, he goes on to describe it as like your family will be like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. This incredible, massive blessing that comes from Genesis 12 here. It is a blessing, though, not for just Abram, though not just for the Jewish people. It is even here at the very beginning, he says in Genesis 3, Ah, Genesis 12, I'm gonna do that multiple times. Genesis 12, verse three. I will bless you who bless you, I will dishonor, and those who dishonor you, I will curse, and in you, only your family will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. From the very beginning, the Gentiles were included. From the very beginning, you could say the Gentiles were, were, were a thought you and me who might not have a Hebrew descent, a Jewish descent, it is not that we are an afterthought. It is that from the beginning, God was intending to use the Israelite nation and through Jesus to bless the world. <laughs> and that is a great comfort to me. <laughs> In fact, the very first pages of the Bible, we see a beautiful blessing for the whole world. Math, sorry, the first pages of the New Testament we see a beautiful blessing in Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. It says that this is the line of Jesus. This is Jesus who has come, the son of Abraham. Right there, Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, a son of Abraham. It is from Abraham that we then connect to Jesus, that from Jesus the whole world will find reconciliation, the gospel. 
And it is in this aspect though that that in the division and the scattering, we see, as I'm gonna do many times this message and many times over, we will see this concept uh, that, I, that I've tried to understand in my head as we think about the big picture, that I think is very helpful, because you know, it's this concept that we've been saying either, don't let the enemy in, in, and in so doing of resisting the devil, there is an understanding that there's something greater, there's something better, there is right and there is wrong. And so in this sense, there is God scattering the earth, there is this judgment, and yet in Noah there is a salvation, there is a rescuing. It is that the earth is being uh, diverse and divided, and yet there is the calling out of one people, the nation of Israel through Abraham, a singling out, a separation from. He travels to a promised land and, and he pitches his tent into this place where God is saying, this is the place that I'm going to use to bless. This, this place is where I want you to be. And so in Genesis 12, eight, we see that he, he goes and he comes to a place where we're gonna see this division worked out. If you look at uh, Genesis 12, eight, it says from there, he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And it is in that as Abraham traveled, he set up altars to call upon the name of the Lord and give him worship. Abram directed his heart and guidance to God. But it is in the location that he does that we find a very key point. Bethel, if you're probably more familiar with that place, the word Bethel, the term of the name, means house of God. It's a beautiful picture of what that looks and means in scripture, a house of God. But you know what AI means? <laughs> Quite the opposite. AI means a heap of ruin, <laughs> a heap of ruin. You wanna live in Bethel or do you wanna live in AI? Right? And so you have this Bethel on one side and Ai on the other, a house of God on one, Ai on the heap of ruin on the next, and where do you have Abraham? Stuck in the middle. I think in many times looking at these things, we have a tendency to gloss over these kinds of things, but these details are not put in here just arbitrarily, they're important. They mean very important things, and Abraham pitches his tent between the two and builds an altar in the middle to call upon the name of the Lord that, oh God, would you make me and my people a place to bridge the gap between the house of God and relationship with him and the heap of ruin that we have become. Would you, God, make me and my family a bridge between the two? For Abraham, we are thinking, maybe is that one, but he is only the one who will bridge the gap for the final one who will bridge the chasm of sin, the heap of ruin, to then make us into a place where we can enter the house of God with confidence to ask for help in time of need, as Hebrews says. This is a, a picture of what we will find throughout the scripture of an antithesis, setting opposite things next to one another, or you could say a juxtaposition of two things that are opposing, that are set. Not two things that are equal, for God is often pitted against Satan or the snake, and they are not equal, but they are opposing, you could say. God is greater and far beyond, and, and much of the Bible is just us understanding that God's got this, he's in control, he's sovereign, and every time the snake tries to bite the heel, we find the head of the snake being crushed over and over and over, and the final way that happens is on the cross. And so this is the story of the Bible where we see these two things pitted against one another, that the choice has to constantly be made between the one or the other. What will Abraham do? We see this with the two trees. Which one will they choose? You see this with Abraham and Lot next, where they will separate. We see this with Bethel and Ai. 
house of God and heap of ruin with the ark and the flood. We see this with Cain and Abel. We see this with Sodom and Salem or Salem, which we'll look at in a moment. We see this with Jacob and Esau, Isaac and Ishmael, Joseph and his brothers, Israel and the Canaanites. It will go on and on and on. We recognize that God is selecting, he is separating, he is blessing and it is by following in faith and following the God who blesses that we will find salvation and rescue from the thing and the sin and the death that we have become ultimately from ourselves. Abraham as the bridge between the two that one day God will bring a final bridge, a gap between the heap of ruin and the house of God. And the Israelite people will temporarily operate in that space. For what nation on the earth did they choose to literally have a house of God? What nation, what other nation had a tabernacle where God's presence resided among the people? What nation was chosen to build a house, a literal solemn man built a temple where God's presence was there on earth? And what location did that take place in Jerusalem? This is not by mistake. It is very visual. It is very real. It is very powerful that then in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we see the same thing happening but in a much broader and greater way for that new temple is now within you and me. And the people of God are the body, the church, and the presence of the Holy Spirit resides within us as the presence did in the tabernacle and in the temple. It is in the church that God uses to proclaim and and press this message, this blessing of for all nations from Abraham to now here in Jaffer, New Hampshire. We see this in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.5, verse that maybe some of you have grown a church are familiar with. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. There's one mediator. It was alluded to earlier. There is one way, there is one truth, there is one life. There is one bridge. In Ephesians 2, we don't have time to get into it today, but Ephesians 2 talks into this manner of that Jesus Christ, it is through his blood sacrifice that he has broken down the walls of hostility, the walls that we see in Genesis 3.15, the walls of enmity that are broken down through Jesus that now we have entrance and the, the, the veil is torn in two and we can enter the holy of holies and be in confidence because we are washed clean and pure by the blood of the Lamb. It is this beautiful Old Testament illustration and motif that we find in the New Testament that we literally live out today. It's a glorious story. It's a glorious and encouraging message that it is through him we find peace and righteousness. Then we see in the next chapter, Genesis 12 and Genesis 13, we see a storyline of God working this same motif out where Abraham or at this time his name is Abram. I'm gonna do that all message, Abram and Abraham, so forgive me. But Abram and Lot, two very contrasting characters. Choice is to be made where Lot, what plane, what direction will you choose? And Lot sees the attractive valley of Sodom and he chooses Sodom that very, to choose you this day whom you will serve. Abraham goes the other way. Lot separates to choose. The two trees, you can do this all day, right? Lot chooses self in the plains of Sodom. It was pleasing to him. Abraham chooses the selfless way and goes the opposite direction. And then we see that working out, that decision to be a poor choice for in Genesis 14, We get an overarching narrative, a huge, amazing story that really summarizes the entire story of the Bible in one chapter. 
Genesis 14, it's a chapter that I'm not gonna have time to go into everything, but if you have time today, this we study 14, Genesis 14, it is loaded with stuff. I went down the wormhole <laughs> of Melchizedek this week and all of these things, and I'm gonna try to stay back because of time, because I don't have all that time, but it's a beautiful passage to study. As I'm understanding it, we see Abraham comes to rescue Lot. There's a war that happens, really, you could say one of the first wars in the Bible. You get these bad kings versus bad kings, and one of the bad kings is the king of Sodom. And the two kings come in to fight, or the, the, the nine kings are fighting one another, and one king wins, and they, they, uh, they attack Sodom, and the people of Sodom are taken away, and Lot is taken away into captivity. He's captured. Abraham hears about his nephew Lot, who's been captured by the enemy. And Abraham rounds up 318 men just seemingly overnight and goes in this nighttime raid like a SEAL Team 6 and goes into the place and, and he rescues Lot, wins this amazing kind of guerrilla warfare battle and, and takes back uh, the spoils and he, he takes back Lot and he's on his way home. And, and I guess before we get to that, before we get to the second part of, Ab- of Genesis 14, it is, it's not hard to see the symbolism here. I mean, I don't even have to work hard at this one, right? You see the beautiful picture of one who is lost in captivity, uh, one who is lost without hope, who has made selfish decisions to choose and pursue himself, the man Lot, who is helpless apart from Abraham, the one who has received the blessing of God to come in and rescue him. This picture is easy for us to see and understand as we look at the New Testament, Colossians 1.13. He has delivered or you could say he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what it means to be saved. Why do we talk about being saved all the time? Because we understand that there was a time when we were unsaved. There was a time when we were in the domain of darkness. We were in the chains. We were, we were, atta- we were um, enslaved in this redemption to redeem and buy back out of the slave market of sin and rescue us and give us salvation. This is what it means to be saved, that Jesus bridges that gap to make that possible. And here we see Abraham in a beautiful picture doing this exact thing, rescuing Lot. And yet after Abraham rescues Lot in the battle, we see this amazing blessing happen, a foreshadowing and a type of Christ come about. After Abram rescues Lot in battle, he, he beats back the bad kings, rescues Lot. They're on their way home from Damascus, the northern part of Israel, and they're headed home and they're passing down the central part of Israel or the land of Canaan at that time. And we come upon a very unique scene A very unique scene, something that uh, is extraordinarily deep. And I'm gonna try to just scratch the surface of it today. It's a person that most often I would say we skip over, we don't think about because it gets too complicated, but this is the person of Melchizedek. And again, if you have more time for deeper dive and study, please study this, it's fascinating. I was really encouraged by it today. Uh, this week as I was able to look into this. But what we have is you're gonna be placed again with a very clear and obvious picture. You're gonna have Abraham rescuing Lot, coming home as he travels. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be visited by two kings. The king of Salem, or Shalem, which means peace, which is really Salem, which is really the precursor name for Jerusalem. The king of the pre-Canaanite or the pre-David place, city of David, Jerusalem, that king, the king of Salem at that time, comes, 
blesses Abraham. And then he will be accosted by the king of Sodom. And in Genesis 14, it says, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, this is Genesis 14, verse 18, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, or Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. He gives him a feast. For he was, and get this, the priest of God most high, of God El Elyon, God most high. So this king priest who worships Yahweh, where is this guy coming from? We don't know, but he comes from the city of Salem, and he blesses Abraham. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and, possess, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And then the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Two opposing ideas. Sodom says, hey, give me what I want and you take what you want. We'll all be happy, king of Sodom. Does that sound familiar, right? The king of Salem says, Salem comes in and blesses him. Mentions God most high, may God be blessed through you. And it is in this Melchizedek figure that we see a king of a, of a city and a priest establishing a blessing from God to Abraham. The Bible says that bless, uh, who blesses you, I will bless. One day Jerusalem will become the city and that receives great blessing from God. And this guy is an amazing character. We, he's mentioned in Psalm 110 by David. He's mentioned in Hebrews 6, 7, 8. He's a, Melchizedek is a curious figure. Who is he? How did he know about God all most high? And Yahweh, how did he know about him already? Jesus, we find, is compared to Melchizedek in the New Testament. That Jesus is from the order of the priest Melchizedek. He is like Melchizedek. Or it is in fact that Melchizedek is like Jesus. In that through Jesus we see the blessing of God come to the world. And it is through Melchizedek that we see the blessing of God come to Abraham in this time. And through him he will bless the world because of who Abraham is and who he will be one day. And it is in this priestly figure that we see a beautiful picture of choosing the blessing of God and the way of God and choosing to give God your life and to bless him and to worship him or to choose the king of Sodom in the way that Lot had chosen and we've already seen how that worked out and how it's going to continue to work out later on when Sodom is completely destroyed. Salem means peace. It is Melchizedek in his name that means king of righteousness. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He prefigures uh, the, the incarnate Christ in the New Testament. So it's this picture of this man, Melchizedek, a king of righteousness of the city of peace. How is it that Jesus brings us righteousness and brings us peace through the world? It's amazing as we consider the beautiful and incredible contrast of these two places that Jerusalem is the very location that God will bring through David, the city of David, Jerusalem, to bring peace and righteousness to the world. And through Jesus Christ, the very location of the temple, the city of Zion, the place of peace, this beautiful location that we see on the earth and yet representing for all of humanity the, the spiritual warfare that occurs and it is in this receiving of this blessing that God goes into Genesis 15 that, that, that Abraham in his righteous choice of, of receiving and worshiping God in Genesis 14, we see in Genesis 15 the incredible covenant that God makes with Abraham that will change the world. 
And here he gives him another affirmation of the promise. Genesis 15, one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? I, I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Like, I don't, I don't know what, how you're gonna do this. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. And then this is that amazing, God drops this bomb on him. Your very own son will be your heir. We know that to be Isaac. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven and number the stars. You are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then get this, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews. He believed the Lord and it was counted to him in righteousness. This faith, reception, uh, receiving God uh, and the truth and salvation. It's almost as if then God says, okay, I'm sending you an email and I want you to click the link. I want you to download the terms and conditions and I want you to accept agree. Uh, because God's about to make a covenant with Abraham in a very unique way that today seems very foreign to us. We often look at those terms and conditions and never read them. We just click okay, agree, moving on. You know, you just signed away your life and you have no idea. So this is that aspect in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. They didn't have terms and conditions. They didn't have those ways. But when you were making a pact, a, a covenant with someone, they did it in a very, you would say, um, extreme way, if you would. And it's, a, it's again a picture, an illustration, a motif to under, how, for us to understand the character of God and what God is doing through Jesus Christ on the cross. For what is about to happen is God says to Abraham, bring me a heifer, a cow, and, and, and then divide the cow in two pieces. You're like, well, that's a grotesque picture. He, he divides those and then prowls a vision that come over Abraham and he says, we, what happened in the Old Testament is you would have, in the word covenant means to cut. And so literally you would have a cutting of a covenant which meant you would separate an animal upon two altars and you and the other person would pass between the midst verifying for everyone else that if we do not keep this covenant together, this promise that we're making together, if you don't keep it or I don't keep it, let me become like this animal and divide me in two, divide me asunder for this covenant is binding upon us both. Agree, except terms and conditions, right? And so it is in this way that God does it in a unique way. For he does not enter into covenant with Abraham, with Abram in a way that requires Abraham to fulfill his end of the bargain. For God's already seen that that no one's fulfilled the end of the bargain. We've already had Noah. We've already gone through that. It's not gonna work. We know what the results of sin are. And so what happens is God enters into a covenant pact with Abraham on behalf of himself. God cannot lie, he cannot swear a promise by anything other, anything higher than himself. So to verify its legitimacy and its fulfillment that my blessing upon all nations will happen, God makes a covenant, a promise between two people, two sides, yet by himself. God says, give me this, I cut the cover, and then he passes through it as a smoking pot and a burning fire And it is in the Old Testament that we find God leads the people of Israel by fire and by smoke, by a cloud. And it is in this way that God passes between the two, saying to Abraham and to the world that I am upholding this promise. That if I do not uphold this promise that we're making, or if you do not uphold this promise, let me take the punishment. 
This practice may have been common, but it was for two others, yet God alone was taking on both sides of the covenant family promise on himself. Are your mind already going to the New Testament? (laughs) If Abraham's family didn't keep the promise, then God would take the penalty of their sin on himself. He would pay the price, as Chris Bruno says, he would pay the price they deserved for their disloyalty. We see this worked out in a variety of passages in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, yet the Lord has laid on us, no, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of every one of us, (laughs) of us all. This is the cross, this is what God is doing the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is a beautiful picture, it is an amen, it is the gospel, it is what Jesus is doing here. In the 15th chapter of the Bible, we're already hearing about the one who would come finally to do this. An incredible story, and then we come and we end with this. In Genesis 15, we see as we move this this, this storyline that goes and, and is even more extraordinary. We're gonna skip through the birth of Isaac and skip all the way to Genesis 22. So you have your Bibles or whatever, you can look at Genesis 22. We're gonna walk through this and close in prayer. And Genesis 22 is when we see the storyline, the, the, the uh, meta-narrative, this really come into a more of a reality. Because if you were saying some of the passages that I just shared with you, maybe you're new to the Bible, you're like, I don't know. That seems a little bit of a stretch, Pastor. It seems like you're trying to connect things that aren't there, all right? Well, well, let's go to Genesis 22 and see how we feel about it at that point because this gets right up in your face. It gets right up and gets a little uncomfortable for us. It gets right there where we're forced to reconcile with what is necessary for our sin to have a payment price, the blood that is shed that needs to be covered and a substitute that is needed on our behalf. It gets right up there in Genesis 22. For God has, has said, I will make a great nation from you, and yet Abraham and, I, and Sarah have no children outside of Hagar and Ishmael, and so there's no chosen, blessed nation of God. So who is the heir that is going to make a great nation? God, how are you gonna do this? We're too old, we can't have children. And God says, I will give you a child. And he gives them Isaac, this blessed, chosen, promised one, right? Isaac who's coming, and then God says, I'm gonna test you, literally. Genesis 22, verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham. And he said, Hanani, the Hebrew word, here I am. And he said, take your son, the only son of Isaac whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of your mountains, in which I shall tell you, what? Right, that's, it. that's it. what you're reading. If this is your first time, you're just like, whoa, 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 hold up. This is not how it's supposed to go down, right? And so offer up, sacrifice your son. And again, a side note, land of Moriah is Jerusalem, the Salem, this Jerusalem, the location of Moriah there being Jerusalem. And so he says, go to that place, that mountain there, the land of Moriah, and in that location in which one day I will offer Jesus as a sacrifice, go offer your son. Whew, that is a test of faith right there test comes, and yet how is it that we can today sing the children's song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons, that we were gonna all do that, but I decided not to sing that song today. I was gonna have Land of Color lead us in Father Abraham, um, but we didn't, and yet that understanding of that, how is it that we have many sons through Abraham if Isaac is to be killed? When Hebrews 11, we get a hint, we get a sense that Abraham believed that he would be risen from the dead, and so he had faith to follow through, 
But we see this test comes, this separation. Will you, Abraham, choose me and obey in faith or will you choose to define right and wrong in your own terms? Are you gonna choose the way of your own? Abraham, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna follow me? Or like Lot, choose Sodom? You want peace and righteousness? What is it that you will choose? And so Abraham follows through in incredible obedience. He follows through. He walks with the young men. He, he tells uh, Isaac to follow him. They gather sticks and, and, and they fire and they go. And, and in verse seven of Genesis 22, and Isaac said to his father, my father, here it is for the second time, Abraham says the Hebrew word, Hanani, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire of the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. What an incredible statement, my son. So they went, both of them together. Abraham built an altar, he goes on. And this altar, again, stands as this incredible podium portraying the contrasting challenges of loyalty and faith that present Abraham. Choose God or disobedience. Choose to sacrifice my only son in this extraordinary thing that I don't understand. It seems wrong, this is, can't be right. Choose Sodom or Salem, to Bethel or Ai. Choose to trust God or to trust the way I define through Hagar and Ishmael. I'll take matters into my own hands. No, no, no. He says what? It's a word that's impacted me. I've shared this word. I've shared this chapter before a couple months ago when we went to Israel. This word really meant a lot to me. I was, understood the, un, the, the vastness of this Hebrew word, Hineini. Here I am, where I think is an incredible mantra for my life and your life, that if only we would just open our hearts and our minds and just say Hanani to God, here I am. I don't fully understand, I don't know where I'm supposed to go, and I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing, but Hanani, here I am. What would you have me to do? And it's reiterated three times in this passage, Hanani, 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 here I am. And it is in that statement of trust and loyalty it's that Abraham is denying himself and he is submitting to God. Hanani. I feel like there are times when on a Sunday where I had, my head is spinning and under my breath as I walk up to this podium, I simply say, Hanani. You know, I, I don't have all the answers. I would like to say I say that every Sunday, but sometimes I do not, okay? But there are times. <laughs> Just, I, I believe in you, God. Spurgeon was said to have said, when he headed up to the pulpit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And sometimes for me, my mantra is Hanani, 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 Hanani. Here I am, do with me what you would will. A statement of trust and of loyalty. Ultimately not that this is a hopeless situation, but that I am hopeless, but God is my hope. That God is the one, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. It is in him that he provides the lamb. And so we are found in the storyline as I come and bring this to a close. Just jump into me with this narrative. It's almost cinematic as we look at it, right? I don't even have to preach this passage. I could just read it to you and I find myself convicted. In verse nine, when they said to the place, when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And he's in that moment. But, verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, what? And Nani, here I am. 
He said, don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt ivory instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, this Lord will provide as it is said to be on that day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided and it was in Jesus Christ on the mount of the Lord he was sacrificed on that cursed hill of Golgotha he died bleeding suffering in his sacrifice he redeemed the world and rose from dead reconciling your sin and God's righteousness to bring us together in relationship in adoption in a family of peace and righteousness that was foretold by Melchizedek to here today that's the beautiful storyline of the gospel seen through this one man of Abraham, the blessing for the world, that Jesus will come and Jesus for us today has come and Jesus is not dead but he is alive. Jesus is our sacrificial lamb or ram. It is his blood, his atoning blood that pays our sacrifice, our need, the price on our sin. We are not killed. We are not destroyed. We are not, for God takes it on himself. He pays for it in, in our stead so that we could go free and live in the promised inheritance and blessing given to Abraham passed down to his sons and daughters because God the Father gives grace upon grace upon grace. On every page of the Bible, we see God pour his grace upon mankind when we deserve judgment and punishment, God makes a way. God builds a bridge. God sends his son. This is grace. And it is in found through Jesus, experienced through his spirit, because we understand and bless and worship the Father. Do you know this Father today? Father's Day. Do we know the Father of fathers? God the Father, who we sing is a good Father. But do we know Him? Do we know Him? Do we worship Jesus as the Son? Do we, do we believe in the Spirit that fills our church and empowers us and gifts us to spread this news all over the world? For He's good. He is Tov. He is good. And He is working in us the goodness of God to go out to the nations. Let us be used by God for that mission today. Let's close in prayer. Father, we think of you, we worship you today, and we humble ourselves because, Lord, we are an ultimate need of you. Yet we are so excited, Lord, because we know that you are real and you are alive and, and all that you are within us is here today. It's incredible to think, God, that you are alive. You fill your church and Lord, you intend to continue this mission to redeem the earth, to bring heaven and earth again once again. Lord, we know that you're coming again and so we live with anticipation. We live today with worship, knowing God that we just get to sing your praises and worship you for all that you are. Lord, for, you, for this is where we stand. We are, as we were saying earlier, running all over the place and yet Lord, just sit down at your feet. 
Lord, let us to sit today to, to, to worship, to simply praise you for you are good. And Lord, we think of these things today. We're grateful for all that you've done and all that you continue to do within this church and in this place, in this small little drop in the bucket of history. We're grateful to be aware of the knowledge of this salvation. Lord, help us to share it and spread it, to spread the goodness of God all over the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.